clubhouse. Attention all passengers. The temperature outside is minus 119 degrees Celsius. We are six years, nine months, and 26 days from departure. For your personal safety, be prepared to brace. Welcome back to another episode of Pod Clubhouse's coverage of TNT's Snowpiercer. This is for the fifth episode of the third season. This one was called A New Life. Who amongst us thought, given the way that the opening worked and the cutting and the editing and the music, that Zara was dead meat? <laughs> I definitely did. <laughs> That's the first thing I wrote in my notes. Is she going to die? That is the also. Yeah. My first note, going to live through delivery, question mark? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought so too. Because no one major has died yet besides Melanie. And Kevin wasn't really major. So. <laughs> no, he wasn't. Not yet. Not yet. I, I wonder, though, if a lot of the framing and circumstances of the way things were shot in this episode were also meant to make us believe other things as well that may also not be true. Mm -hmm. Particularly... The bombing. Mm -hmm. I thought that they're shaping it up for us to think that Pike was the bomber. Do you guys see it like maybe he is, maybe he isn't? Well, are we doing our spoilers already? <laughs> um, but I will say that my first inkling, because this episode was doing a lot of like mis direction and then revealing you know um what actually happened which i thought it was a really good episode it felt like a mid-season finale which i guess it is because it's like episode five i'm not too sure how many episodes there are this season but it really did feel like that sort of episode because there was a lot of plot points taking us to the next you know whatever's to come in this season mm -hmm. but for that fire i mean they pointedly showed us audrey so i was thinking she would have been the one to uh sh you know she hasn't seen wolford and she knows he's in distress and so it just seemed like she was the most obvious but then also, she's not in any headspace, I think, to kind of pull off this whole thing. But her enjoying seeing the fire was sort of like, huh, is it Miss Audrey? Like, that's what I wrote down. And then until, like, we, you know, find out that it wasn't and it was someone else. I didn't think that Audrey would be it just because she doesn't strike me as the type of person to get her hands dirty in that kind of way. I think what Kat was saying makes me about Audrey and her headspace and what they described as the crime, not just setting the, the fire, but needing the ethanol. Okay, so she was a barkeep originally, so maybe she does know something about various kinds of alcohol. But the remote and the missing engineering parts, mm -hmm. given that Audrey seemed mostly drunk most of the time in this episode... <laughs> It seemed like that wasn't a good match for what what needed to happen there. Maybe the ethanol part, but the other parts, not, not so much with what we've been given about Audrey. What do you think, Ines? Yeah, I didn't think that she'd be the type to kind of get her hands dirty. And, and same thing, just not in the headspace to put together such a complex attacks because it's more than one, right? We had the tree incident, then we had the bombing in the other room. So Audrey wasn't really on my list about it other than like she wouldn't be mad about it either if Leighton died. True. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so and I, and, I, and I thought that was kind of like true for her character, but she didn't really strike me in my, in, in my mind. Honestly, just like right off 
off the bat from the very beginning, I thought like, I wonder if this is Pike, <laughs> because mm. I feel like we've already had, we've already seen the story of like the Wilford Knights from season two. And I didn't think that they would bring that story or infrastructure back into this. And I know like Pike is never really respected or agreed or liked Layton ever, as far as I can remember. And he feels really strongly on a personal level that he, that Layton is not right for this train. So that's where my mind went. So I'm assuming that based off of seeing him with the detonator, when they already said it looks like it was triggered by a detonator, that Pike was our guy. So that's kind of just like where my headspace was right off the bat, because I just know that he hates him. <laughs> like me. <laughs> I just wonder, though, if they gave us all these clues and then next week they'll say something like... I found the transmitter or something to make us reconsider that Pike is the guy, even though they showed us Pike right next to the explosion, kind of doing that TV sort of like looking out of the corner of his eye kind of, kind of thing. <laughs> and then him crushing the what was probably the remote detonator in the hallway and him acting just odd in general. I mean, if it is Pike, that all, you know, narratively makes sense given everything else. Like you said, although they have been allies in the past, they don't invite each other to a uh, poker night or anything. I don't think um, they're not friends. They're just have they were just allies of, of circumstance, probably mm -hmm. in the past. Yeah, and he was acting weird when he um, well when he kind of gave Ruth that ultimatum, like, "Hey, are you going to do this?" Like when he's like, "I'm going to give you one last chance." So that seemed a little bit foreshadowing or seemed a little odd like well what is he gonna go I, like, I did like have pike's making a play yeah and so i did have a question of in that scene when he was kind of i was like okay are they like just gonna stop with whatever they're doing or was it some like he was alluding to something bigger and so i think since she did not agree to it and was still like no i'm doing my job you know like i'm not necessarily so happy but this for the good of the train and all that sort of thing and making it work and he is just not willing to make anything work he doesn't want to find his role with Layden's crew, how he fits in this world. He's really making it hard for himself because of all the history between them together. So he went on this other side, which I understand it. But I think if we see the ending, I think he sort of regretted it. And I think it's one of those things where you cross the line and then you realize, like, maybe I want to go back on the other side of the line. I shouldn't have done that. It was just all the emotions that stir up in you. And instead of like doing some breathing exercises, he went and set these fires and hatch this plan. Yeah, it did seem really sloppy for Pike to put out these kinds of explosions that could potentially really hurt people and also compromise the structural integrity of the train. You know, setting a bomb off on a train when it's already moving fast. Like we've already seen like all the times that that's happened, it's it resulted in a train like being blown apart away from the from the track or whatever. So it did seem sloppy to me like in that regard, which is almost kind of like in the petty realm. But I do feel if Layton was better at being transparent and being logical, then maybe Pike wouldn't be so fucking annoyed with his leadership because he didn't <laughs> like Ruth before and now he's in love with Ruth. And I think he's in love with Ruth because he like 
is inspired by her. She makes him a better person, a better leader. They have strong alignment on the cause. Like even as they're talking to each other and she's clearly like doing her role because she has her loyalty to the train more than anything, even though she knows she was a badass leader. I get what that's like. Well, she has a sense of duty that he can't really appreciate. Yeah, but he is inspired by her and he's known Leighton longer. And this is how much time of him and Leighton be on the same side and they just can't see eye to eye, but that Ruth was able to do it in a really big, great way. I don't want to minimize anything that he and Ruth put together on this train during the six months that Leighton was gone. So honestly, do I agree with Pike's methods if he is the person who's doing this? No, but I also (laughs) don't blame him because Leighton is a fucking idiot. That's how I feel still, even after watching this episode. (laughs) Well, do you think that maybe Pike, is it possible he's having some sort of break or some some character moment here where he's gone off the deep end or made a decision for himself and needs to start acting this other way that might be his undoing? Because I couldn't figure out why he would want to force Ruth into an ultimatum right then. Did you guys see that coming or or rationalize why that would be? Besides maybe just for TV purposes. <laughs> I don't know. I think he just feels really antsy. He feel he like he makes me anxious mm. right now because he can't move on until he, you know, finding a role in this on this train with Layden as a leader. And so I think for him, it's like, it's now or never, now or never, now or never. And like Ruth is over here living her life, trying to get, you know, the people going under this new leadership. So she's just like, hey, taking a moment and like, yeah, I mean, you know, we'll figure it out. And so, and he's like completely in another mind space. So I think for him, it does make sense that he would give her the ultimatum because for him, like he needs to get this done and make a decision in order to move on. Because I think he's not going to settle like he he's just so like you know just thinking about this like it seems like for 24 7 of like i don't want lady to be leader i don't want lady to be leader and so <laughs> yeah he just wants to get it done and over with and like and his hope was that he would have ruth as a leader and then when she doesn't want to agree to it i guess he thought like oh i can for like if lady is not there she would do the right thing and um like just assume yeah and yeah and every and every and everyone wouldn't question that because she has been a good leader and like none of the people who are like in their core group of like ben and jesse all those i don't think they would question it either because you know she she would make um uh the right i don't know it would it would it would just make sense so i think he was just trying to take him out so ruth could um just inherit the throne (laughs) that totally works for me yeah but if ruth finds out she's not gonna like that and so it's like he's just sabotaging himself and also it was such a big risk if you have something going on with Layden, like you know do it mano a mano instead of like like kind of um yeah, putting the, up the food car I mean. yeah yeah and like he he put the whole train at risk you know because like what if they didn't have enough supplies to take down the tree you know the tree burning and like whatever else he was doing so i think it was very careless on his part but he clearly has this vendetta with Layden, given the history that they have But hopefully he can still, like, hopefully no one will find out. But in this TV world, we know that's not going to be the case. The the chronic antsiness that you described might be his real problem. It's it's a real problem for someone who's going to live the rest of their life on a train. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And he clearly doesn't believe in New Eden, so. (laughs) No, yeah. But if you think about his history, that chronic antsiness in, in terms of someone in the tale, 
Well, that's fine. You're constantly busy making plans of how to overthrow the man, right? The jackboots, the Ruths of the world at that time. And then when the revolution worked, he became like an underworld guy, you know, a supplier of illicit goods and, and that sort of thing. But that also has a constant antsiness fact, factor, right? Where you're always on the lookout for someone that's going to get you in trouble. You know, you're working with Leighton to supply things that he says are okay, contraband. But, you know, you might do a little of your own business on the side because you'd like to live on the edge like that. And then when the trains split, he becomes a resistance leader because mm -hmm. that's highly dangerous also. And now that things are calm again, he's like, well, this sucks. I <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, does, it's, he doesn't know how to live. Yeah. In yeah. this sort of i mean it's not a calmer space but it is sort of like a settled period until they figure out like if this new eden's gonna work and i feel like it's just reminiscent of like you know like when soldiers go and you hear stories of like when they come back they can't kind of acclimate to this world because like they're so used to just being on the edge and like you know that sort of thing and that's kind of what it reminds me of like all those scenarios you described of like his life on the train and he just doesn't know how to settle I don't know if he can't be like the Ruth of the, of the train. <laughs> yeah. And this is not something that he can bounce off of Ruth to get her to kind of talk him off the ledge kind of thing like she has been able to for like everything um, in this season so far. My headspace was also with what you were saying, Kat, like he's trying to force a change in leadership by causing some kind of sabotage and, and right, you know, causing the instability with, with Leighton in this very physical kind of way. My headspace was right there too like this is how he's going to try to get ruth to be on board maybe paul what you, what you know about earlier with the ultimatum thing maybe it was for him to be able to like mentally carry out whatever plans he had in mind he needed to give that ultimatum maybe even knowing that she wasn't going to jump on board about it and he she made did it in the cafeteria like, like in a public right. space <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> but, like it definitely very sloppy it shows like he still does have like a lot of growth ahead of him and he <laughs> maybe i see myself in fight maybe he just like can't let go of a grudge because i'm notorious but my nickname at home is the grudge so um what? He... <laughs> <No>. <laughs> oh my goodness i know Man. it's so bad i'm so bad i'm really bad about that but your um... work persona is is much calmer than that <laughs> hey i i know how to like thrive in different environments but like now you know my secrets <laughs> what i'm thinking about when i'm at home <laughs> But, you know, like Pike, I think not only has Leighton not given him any real reason to follow him, because honestly, I still haven't seen it. I still don't. I don't see it. And I would love for you both to be able to try to, like, help me understand it because I don't get it. And so we've all I'm seen the same show. I'm on I'm with Pike like on like this isn't right this isn't right but at some point you do have to just accept it might not be right but this is what it is and it's the best thing that we've got right now so mm -hmm. how do I just live with it and Pike he's never really been able to figure that part out himself on when is it like too much and I really didn't even think about what you mentioned earlier Paul maybe he's just most comfortable living in kind of that anxious state and that's why he kind of has to keep looking for something and I hadn't really thought about that because I kept saying like well Leighton hasn't given him a reason to trust him but yeah it's also a character flaw of his you you, you see it in in other characters for some reason the dumbest example pops to mind uh, <laughs> Uh, did you, you ever see uh, Talladega Nights? Yeah. Remember Ricky Bobby's dad? <laughs> Things are about to settle down, you know, and they have dinner at Applebee's. But then he just like <laughs> throws a fit 
and just needs to run away because because <laughs> things are just too calm after he'd spent years away from the family. So Pike oh. is Mr. Bobby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like he needs to talk it to someone. Sense. Yeah, he needs to talk to someone to kind of like work through that because I know it can't be easy living your life so anxiously, you know, like surviving in the tail section. And then like, you know, they've had all these uprisings and like basically having something to do that's very high pressure now just to go, you know, 180 to zero or something. Like, I don't think that's easy. That, so it takes, but I don't, also don't understand why he's trying to plot against the train too, because like we're assuming that people would accept ruth but then if wolford's still okay he's still in the mix like he's also sort of risking like if Layden were out of the picture wolford and his people who are following wolford could also take that position again so he's also like he has like sort of good intentions but like his execution is sort of flawed like you know he's not thinking about all the different angles it could go through like wolford could get back in power and then they would also like everything they've worked towards would be gone so like he also didn't think about that like, I just thought about that, too. It was like, yeah, we're assuming Ruth would take power if Layden was gone. But Wilford's still much like very much in play. Yeah, we need to um, send Pike to either Till or Ben because they seem to be the <laughs> only qualified like therapist type of roles <laughs> that exist on this train. And Ben's been working some big old miracles like since the start of the season. So yeah, maybe he just needs to pair up with him. Well, Till, we, we, she I mean, I don't know if we want to transition to Till, but sure. Um, she sort of had that moment like in the last season. She hit her breaking point and then she, um, you know, kind of was iffy with like the Layden thing. And then now she's like fully on board. She knows what side she is on and, you know, doing what she needs to do to support that. And I think it was like telling what she told Audrey, like, you need to just skip to the part where you hit rock bottom and then pull yourself up and like see what you're going to do because like this whole thing is not working. <laughs> and so she told her basically like what she the advice that she needed when she had her rock bottom. So I think it's sort of like from one person to another who's been in that situation. She kind of told her how it was. And yeah, so I think Pike needs to have his rock bottom or something. Till she continues to not exactly have much character arc because this season she's whenever she's on screen she's doing great things <laughs> you know yeah happy go lucky <laughs> well she's serving as Layton's I mean it's never been made official what the pecking order is but I think it's safe to say after this one that it's Andre Layton and then Till right below that mm -hmm. in terms of executing whatever it is the directives are. She may not know the engineering. She may not know this or that, but in terms of getting stuff done, keeping people on track, and in this case, inspiring when it comes to Audrey, this is the stuff she's doing. I wrote, uh, my, my notes for her are very short, just says, very authoritative and strong. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, I think that's where she's at this season. Maybe she may not get much development per se, this season but we need that one person like her and like ben who are just on like a steady path mm -hmm. <laughs> that, that other yeah. people can hang off of that need the help my notes were even shorter paul mine just say <laughs> i love her still <laughs> so, and it's because of all of that what you said because she's got the energy she's got more of the focus she's more grounding and so all of her scenes she brings that groundingness to the chaos to whatever like the thing that's up in the air uh, moment and so it's just very like settling and calming but in a really good way so yeah, yeah I'm, I'm glad for her and Ben's roles in this that do impact 
what happens to the other characters that need to get developed. Basically from like Till with Audrey, like Audrey needs this, like the really badly. Cause I think just from reading all the comments uh, of what I've seen on social media, people are really disappointed with Audrey's character and how this storyline has gone. And I think we've expressed a lot of that too. Um, yeah. And then everybody that Ben is touching, you know, Alex, Alex and Javi ha- are very up in the air kind of situations. And he brings that same exact kind of safety around for us to be able to witness how these characters develop that they need to. So I'm okay with that. The focus on this season might not necessarily be on like what big actions that they do, because I think that they are playing really important roles in the storylines. Yeah. And I was just going to add that I really liked the marrying of sort of like having this detective story again, like we had in season one Mm, with with Till and with Andre. But Till in season one was completely different because she didn't like that. um, You know, she kind of had to take orders from Andre. And like, you know, when they were doing the detective um, story to find out, you know, who was uh, the one, you know, in that in that storyline. But in this one, it was like sort of fun to see them like really like it's felt like a cop drama, you know, like they're just like kind of bouncing ideas off each other and finding this detective story. So I really liked, I don't know, it was like an ode to season one, but shows also how far they both come together. That's a good call. I I had caught kind of a whiff of that uh, myself, but I had forgotten that Till was sort of antagonistic (laughs) in that first season, (laughs) um, that she didn't really like having to take direction from a, from a Taylor. But now they're buddies and uh, seeing her force a path for Zara to the uh, creepy McCreep's lab uh, <laughs> was was cute. <laughs> uh, and I never even realized the bit about the little girl Winnie, her name actually being Winnipeg from that the tradition that they described about the the tree and some people just put the names of cities that they're passing by. <laughs> and so yeah. that little girl got stuck with Winnipeg. It's cute, though. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Canada has a lot of funny names. And the show's made in Canada, so maybe that's sort of like a little... A little Ode. Yeah, a little uh, nod to their to their locals there. But What she, if they, like, pass by a town called Cut and Shoot? Cut and Shoot, or uh, <laughs> uh, they have a town in Ontario, I think, called Medicine Hat. So she, <laughs> she could have... <laughs> it could have inspired her to be a doctor. Right. Let's see. You guys mentioned Ben. And oh, my God. <laughs> He had he had a little more to do in this episode than the huge. There were two things. There was his inspired decision to team up Javi and Sykes, and then his uh, finding a friendly port in the storm with uh, <laughs> with Josie. What would you like to talk about first, Cat? It's funny because my first note, I wrote like, I, I break it down by characters. So like, it's like Josie. And then I was like, oh no, Ben and Josie, romantic question mark. And then at the very end of my notes, it's like, yes. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I really liked like the, the relationships that are happening. I know I mentioned in the last episode of how they've all felt organic. And I think while this is like a new development that could possibly cause tension with uh, Layden. Uh, well, uh, really? It uh. really like, yeah. <laughs> so I was like, from a, from a TV standpoint, like this season, it was because there was like, 
like there hasn't been a lot of different um like tension we're just trying to like it's more the outside forces of like are they gonna get to new eden whatever there hadn't been like with amongst themselves besides the obvious ones like wilford and all that and so this one was like oh this brings up like i hadn't even thought about this but it made sense when they talking to each other and like how they both like have the duty and then like they both have lost their sort of like loves because andre's there but he still has the mixed feelings especially like those baby highs of like the mother of his child like who knows where that's gonna go and it's not with josie so like you know even though she knows he's gonna have a duty to the kid first not her regardless of whether he's with zara or not that's like changes your viewpoint there's gonna be no josie time yeah yeah. maybe there's no josie time yes and she kind of she knows that and so it was just like they were bonding over that and then i was like well they're both good looking so i was like uh. (laughs) (laughs) and and then you know and then they they could relate on stuff and so like the way it kind of unfolded because i was like oh i hope they don't get together in this episode and then they did but i was like you know what that makes sense like he was trying to make her feel better by like taking her mind off the baby by like hey let's like run the train you know sort of thing and also just like it's a good thing if she did know that so it was kind of like twofold but also just kind of taking her mind off that it just showed like how sympathetic he is and why melanie would probably you know have fallen up with him and like how they had the relationship but i i don't know i guess they just both needed that um the moment together given all the stuff that they've been through so complicating though if yes it's gonna yeah because i was thinking like that's why i was thinking this episode is so good because it's setting up so many things for like the second half of the season and this one's gonna be a big one like when when Layden goes into the engine and, and then it's gonna be like awkward <laughs> right is that your bra hanging from the rearview mirror <laughs> yeah <laughs> Why does this train even have a review? <laughs> Playing some like Marvin Gaye in the background yeah. permanently in there. <laughs> well, and if yeah. they find Melanie, you know, if that's yeah. a thing. Oh, yeah. Well, that would be Josie's what, like revenge against Melanie for her. Oh, there you go. Oh, man. But still, I mean, that what is that? The TV uh, fireworks potential fallout for being stuck in the middle of these relationships for Josie. She's a character that, that audiences really like. You know, there's nothing to not like about her. She's caring about other people. She takes... Well, this is a repeat of that comment, but she takes care of them also with her her background as, as a healer and a, and a comforter and um, caretaker. No one's going to not like her, but then you have her in the middle of this Zara Andre thing and then potentially a Ben Melanie thing if that comes back. So, yeah. Oh, man. I really like don't want to go down that route, but I guess like for TV, it's like a natural thing. People want to see what's happening with the romance kind of stuff. So, Ben and Josie, I was not mad about that at all. I'm like, good for <laughs> you, both of you, because you're both amazing. I approve of this. And I just couldn't help but feel that that conversation was just very sweet. It was like a genuine, organic conversation. It wasn't weird. It wasn't cheesy. It was just kind of really focusing on how people are feeling in, in this point in time. Josie, she is going through this like physical change that's concerning to her with the numbing and dulling. But I also, you know, have tied this that it might also just be it might also be symbolism for her emotions um, of seeing kind of how things are happening, that she has to see her soulmate ditch her and go with Zara, who he hadn't had a relationship with for the last seven years. Like he was intimate with her one time and in like that seven years or whatever, or however long that. Well, they came on the train married. Right, right. I know that they were together right from the get go, but she left. And at that and at some point, Leighton and Josie 
were a very solid item. Like I felt like it was a very genuine relationship. So I thought that it was kind of fucked up that the story ended up with like he ended up sleeping with Zara despite that he was with Josie and he had these like big emotions for Josie and then he's like oh she's pregnant so I have to be here now you know I just kind of feel like that's such like a old kind of like mentality like do you love Zara and you want to be there for her because like you you really are connected with her and I don't know the way that they've told the story between them the last time I saw them together on the relationship dynamic I alluded it to kind of like that high school awkwardness and that just felt really out of place for this kind of situation and I do feel like it's still out of place to think that oh this is going to be like awkward like why would it be awkward for Leighton he made a very proactive decision (laughs) that they've already dealt with and been living with for months now so why would we expect there to be this big drama between Leighton and Ben you know and then like the whole Melanie factor I figure like to me I feel like Melanie would have like no issue (laughs) I feel like she's so amazing and if she is alive which cross my fingers if she is alive and she does come back I can totally see like yeah like maybe Ben like is like yeah I'm gonna head back up with my like woman here that I thought that I lost I can see that happening but I don't know I wouldn't be mad about that I just don't think that there's drama about that <laughs> but I don't know am I like soulless or something What's well no. it's those two women though <laughs> it's it's the fact that Melanie kind of killed Josie once yes uh, oh yes. yeah absolutely <laughs> I can totally see why like on that part but I'm just saying from like the romantic like element of it like I'm saying that that's a non-factor. It's going to be more about like, uh, remember when you try to fucking kill me? And, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I feel like to me, that's like independent of a romance type. Yeah. And it could just be this vulnerable moment. And they seem like given their conversation, they also seem like they would be very adult about it and be like, okay, like we just need, we both needed that at that moment. We were having like a really good conversation where they both understood each other. I don't know if this is going to be like. Good talk. Let's bone. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It is very comforting to like be intimate with somebody from an emotional level when you're feeling like alone and you're feeling, you know, she doesn't really have a best friend anymore Mm -hmm. to like talk to. And Ben is somebody she's gone to know for they've been together for like six months. She's learning things from him. He's enriching her. She's enriching him. So I think that it's natural to like find comfort in each other for that. And yeah, like if you're going to be on a fucking plane in the end of the world, like, why not have sex and like enjoy and like enjoy the opportunity that you have? Because maybe not a lot of people get this opportunity to just get to have sex with people on the train. I don't know. Yeah. And in, and in, and in private in the engine. You, know? you have their own room. Why not? I would be all the fucking time. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, also, on a side that's note. That's Inez's room. She's yeah. constantly having sex. <laughs> Yes, um, on with Marvin Gaye like, in the background. Where is the kid? Like, what's his name? Miles. Miles, yeah. Like, are yeah. you guys kind of upset? Like, that's not like there was. He was such a big deal to Josie and Andre, and I feel like they have like completely just. And he was like engineer in training, and like, where has he gone? That's a that's a great narrative question that I I bet, and I don't know this, but I bet has just sort of like a TV answer. 
kind of like he grew Walt. he grew too much yeah. walt yeah. on lost yes <laughs> yeah he, uh, yeah all, all of a sudden wasn't the same size anymore and yeah. even though that not that much tv time had passed so mm-hmm. that, that bothers me yeah because like that was a like josie seems like if she's free and up there like that would be the first person she would have wanted to see especially since she doesn't have Layden. so i don't know it just seems like right. that kind of bothers me a little bit she's I can like finally slide. back on the train but she hasn't like hung out with him like at least like give me a line where she's like oh i just like hung out with miles yeah um, for yeah. like the last hour and then that's it right like just to let us know that she still has some kind of like because she was his mother um, yeah. on this train so absolutely can understand that and i was thinking about that too my assumption is like if he, they do bring miles back it'll be like at a time in the train where like time has like fast forwarded you know a few years to kind of allow him to like catch up mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> you know yeah. His, so that his physical body of today matches the timeline better or yeah, yeah the or some narrative explanation where he's been handling apprentice duties down train for learning that element of the mechanical systems, maybe. I don't know. I'm just kind of making that up. But just something where he would have been away for a plausible amount of time learning those downtrain systems. And now he's he's back in the engine learning those things, even though, you know, we saw him start in the engine. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I just wish would mention it. Yeah, like, because it just seems sort of... Especially, you know, this is like one of those moments where, I mean, she could be with Miles, you know, instead of, <laughs> but. Uh, well, he says, I'm down an engineer. Well, yeah. Yeah. Sorta. Where, where'd the kid go? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He started the boot camp. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But anyway, that's just a little flaw. I know it's probably because of the kid um, aging, um, the actor probably, but yeah, it does bother me a little bit. <laughs> so do you suppose that Ben knew about Sykes? When he paired her with with Javi, or was it just the reasons that he stated as the reasons for pairing them two up? Ooh, that's a good question. Because when I saw the the, the scar, I mean, the scar's been there the whole time. But then the way that they shot it, you know, where he's hearing the dogs in his mind, and then they show a side of her face that has the biggest scar on it. Before she said anything, I was like, oh, shit, she got the dog treatment, too. And then she she tells her story. So, yeah, do you guys think that Ben knew that going in? I feel like he's just so smart since he is an engineer. I think he probably put it together just like we did when we saw because I didn't I thought the scar was just from something else on the train. And but then when she when they when she sits with him, I was like, oh, wow, like that is what that is. And um, I was like, that was brilliant. And Mm. so it seems like Ben is just so intuitive because he's really smart (laughs) with people. And he's a therapist now. Yeah, he's a therapist. (laughs) Add to his engineering uh, duties. He's also a therapist. (laughs) Right. You know, they've been together for six months. So maybe and, and the way that he introduced her to Javi in this way because obviously I think I think Javi I think from season two has had to encounter her previously when she was on the bad side but the way that Ben introduced her to Javi on like I need you two to work on this together and he's like Sykes is who I trust like he was very clear about like how much trust he has in her that it gave me a lot of confidence like she really is not going to like go back I think that before when she was in the snow pierced a train when it was just their six trains or whatever it was that maybe she still could have some loyalties hanging back because she's like i'm just a prisoner of war doing my time but when he says i trust her to get this done like she has my back kind of feeling it made me think like okay at some point their relationship has evolved um they must have spent a lot of time 
together on the six months. So what are the kinds of things that they could have talked about? And I could absolutely see like if she she really delivered on being the kind of person that Ben would trust. She showed us that and why Ben paired her up with him. So I think we can make a lot of assumptions that Ben might have known and thought like this is exactly what he needs to get through this. But if it wasn't a clear cut conversation about it, he did make a really great inference on what kind of strategy would work because he obviously knew that Javi spends a lot of time under Wilford, as has Sykes, and it's always been this kind of oppressive thing. So she did a really great job in like being the person that that he needed her to. Because I ask a million questions all the time, I'm going to pretend that Ben also asks a million questions and got that all figured out when he was on the train with her for those six months. You know, if I'm ever a TV writer... I am going to put time jumps in like every couple of episodes because then you can just rationalize any story twist and change you want to make and just be like, well, what needed to happen to set this up happened during the time jump. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. On the subject of Big Alice's master, Mr. Wilford, we got just a little taste of Alex in this episode. Her reading to Mr. Wilford and going back to the previous episode where she confides in her head, Melanie, about both loving and hating Mr. Wilford, where do you suppose we are with that and Mr. Wilford? is Because she, on the one hand, um, is reading to him, overseeing his care in a way, uh, keeping Audrey away. But it's not like she has kind things to say to him <laughs> while, while he's asleep or what. Where do you do you think she wants him to recover? Do you think she doesn't want him to recover? What do you guys think? Where do you where do you suppose her head is at right now? You know, it's kind of funny. She was reading Don Quixote to him because it's uh, about a man who struggles with like madness. Um, yeah, madness, sanity. And then she's reading that to him, like, okay, if you're gonna absorb this, like making this up enemies. I don't know if that was like uh, like just a funny thing for me. <laughs> that she was doing it like it was like a, a little bit like a revenge that the kind of revenge that she can get on him because he's like in a coma so <laughs> um she's like let me just like i'm just gonna read this to you because it's going to completely always describe what i think your headspace is but because she does struggle with it, he is like the only parental figure that she really has had in her in her life for the last seven years there is that obligation that you feel like if you don't really have anybody else, she's back on the train, but she has nobody but Wilford. So I can see why that's where she would be spending her time. Very complicated, though. Yeah. Just yeah. A young and person to feel like my only parent I kind of hate. It's very difficult. So, you know, just like a quick disclaimer. I am a survivor of incestual sexual abuse by my biological father. There was a time as a kid where I struggled a lot with this is somebody who used to be my hero. This is somebody who like take care of me. But then like this is also somebody who's like brought like some of the worst pain of my life. I had a lot of complicated feelings and thoughts as he was ill with kidney disease, with his diabetes. And then even most recently, he had COVID. And I it had like this whole internal dialogue just to myself about like, how would I feel if he passed away from COVID? And I really thought from the beginning of the pandemic that if this was going to really happen, maybe I would feel relief. But when he got COVID, I didn't feel relief. I felt 
very complicated. I felt very confused and I was kind of lost in the very way that I kind of am relating to Alex in this kind of scenario. It's it's so complicated. You can't really like find the logic of it um, other than the really good experiences were genuine experiences and the really bad experiences were very genuine bad experiences. And how do you make that mesh? Um, you know, it's, it's very, you can't sum it up in a couple of words. You can't, you can't. And it's always going to be like that forever. So I'm not sure how they'll kind of like tie up Alex's story on this front, but with her being so young and that kind of age range is where I was stuck at home trying to figure out how to like thrive in my environment and make sure that I could thrive and never end up back in that kind of abusive situation again. So I have a lot of sympathy for what she's going through. Hmm. Well, that's very complicated business. And as you and I have talked about different elements of, of your history in the past. So if a listener is listening to me and like, boy, that dick is just moving on quickly. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's not like that. It's just that uh, uh, Inez and I have been friends a very long time. And so um, I'm, I know some of, of Inez's story. Yeah. And I definitely don't mean for this to be like a weird or, or I don't really don't even want it to like linger on the sadness of it because I personally am really fine. A lot of therapy and a lot of positivity and a lot of intentional decisions around myself. So I'm very happy and thriving now. So this is purely just about putting a perspective on what Alex might be experiencing that not a lot of people have had to like live firsthand. The way that I got it, just in terms of like trying to put it like you're saying Inez in a in a TV type perspective based on the way real people would feel might be something like she doesn't want him dead but she doesn't want him in charge she's not sure how she feels but she's just not ready to say goodbye that will make things complicated if he recovers and starts his shenanigans again um where she's going to land on our loyalty meter because she does have these very complicated feelings. So it's it's a little shitty to try to sum up complicated feelings like that <laughs> in terms of, you know, TV plot twists and stuff like that. Mm. But uh, that's that's what we're here for as our <laughs> as as podcasters. Yeah. And <laughs> I have a very complicated relationship with Wilford, like on his own as a character, because he is pure evil. But I can't fucking help but love <laughs> when he's on the screen. <laughs> I don't know. Even like when like in this episode, when he's like whispering. He's like, somebody really hates you. <laughs> and he's like using all of his energy and his first words to put that in. I was like, oh, it's so perfect. <laughs> that means he's still okay. Because he can, if you're still joking or being himself, he's like, he's still got some fight in him. <laughs> There's a very old uh, Simpsons episode where yeah. Marge's mother says something like, she's like, I'd say more, but my voice hurts. So I can't say any more than this, but. You're a disappointment. (laughs) (laughs) I remember that episode. (laughs) Yes, yes, that is the vibe. That is the Wilford vibe. Well, do you think they're setting it up? Because some of the most villainous characters on TV... They start that way and then they have this, like, you know, this, um, this arc where you actually end up rooting for them towards whatever throughout the seasons because they have a redemptive arc. And while Wilfred has, we've already talked about like how he's done a lot of stuff and, you know, could it be, but like, I can't help but they're kind of setting that up 
where, you know, what if he goes through this, um, getting the suspension drugs out of his system, which we can assume that are really bad. And that's what Roche was kind of alluding to. And what we've learned over the few seasons that it's not sleep. It's, it's like, I guess you're kind of replaying all these horrible things in your psyche in those drawers. And so do you think he'll have any regret when he comes out of that since he's reliving that? Or do you think he'll just be like, I'm never going to be in this vulnerable position again? Or like, I think he'll come he... out more pissed off than ever. Okay. So. That's yeah. what I thought. Yeah. That's kind of where I'm at too. He's yeah. relentless. The stuff he's yeah. seeing yeah. that they exposed us to was all moments of pain and disgrace, shame, horrible things. But there's also the moments with Alex. So I was just thinking like, is it going to be one of those things where he sees her probably as a daughter in some ways, even though it's like a very twisted thing, but maybe he would do something redemptive just for her or maybe not. He's just going to go guns blazing. Mm. Do you think? You know, I know the kind of arcs you're talking about, like you're, Ben Linus's and your yes. Jamie Lannister up until season seven, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. more like season eight, episode two. That's when it stops. Uh. Yes. <laughs> so it could go back again. <laughs> right. Well, that's what my point is, is that if you, if Snowpiercer has a nice, tidy story that they plan on running for, you know, five seasons or whatever, and then being like, done, uh, then that's cool. Then yes, you can have that. But if you run it for seven or eight seasons and he has to kind of swim up and down <laughs> the narrative arcs until he's like doing some good, doing some bad, doing some good, doing, mm -hmm. then, then it gets tiresome, you know? Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and you start to hate it. But if it's meaningful, if it's planned out, then yes, I could see that happening. And I would see that either, yeah, I guess Alex would be the only person that it would make sense for. The only person that would have that tie into whatever counts as Mr. Wilford's heart. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I think he's like beyond saving. <laughs> that could Maybe. be. You yeah, could just be yeah, wired uh, in, yeah. in, in, a, in an emotional way that's, you know, um, I'm not sure which which uh, pathy it is, whether it's psychopathy, sociopathy, whichever one it is. Because he doesn't think he's wrong. He doesn't think he's being bad. You That's know. the point, right? Yeah, if you have that, if you have a certain kind of psychological diagnosis, you can't see it in the same way that most other people do. And there's nothing that doesn't make you wrong exactly, just make you wired completely differently, you know? Yeah. And so he might be one of those things. Yeah. Well, I was just kind of going off also the title of the episode, which is A New, a new Life. life. Right. Yeah. And it feels like a lot of these characters are going through a new life if they so decide to, you know, move in a different direction, not just the obvious one of like the baby. And so, and it's like also counts for Wilford and then like Audrey starting maybe a new life and, you know, Pike starting maybe down a bad road, you know, like um, everyone exactly. was sort of yeah. going through like a new something so i was just thinking like huh maybe they'll kind of like have him do this little arc but then at the end of season four i think if they to avoid going up and down with him and it becoming tiresome like there he's either gonna have to die in some way at season four if he decides to be like good or whatever and then like go bad again i don't know because i don't think we could do this for another season um <laughs> you know like in season four like they can't be going up and down like he's gonna have to they're gonna have to decide what he is because then yeah it would be kind right. of like okay what's going on the snowcopter appears yeah <laughs> they need a new they need a new bat they need a new baddie you know so or if they make it to new, new eden then we'll have the own set of things for that but yeah 
All right. So we have briefly touched on Ruth already with regard to her story as it intertwines with Mr. Pike, but I think she's worth discussing on her own in her continuing adaptability toward her role on the train, finding purpose with her life in her role and making the most of what she's got. She doesn't say that she has any aspirations toward leadership, and I'll take that at face value for right now because she is wearing the teal. She says it doesn't quite fit right anymore, but that's, um, I think, and that's metaphorical. (laughs) But she is adapting, and like she did with, what's his name, Tristan, the helper in Mm -hmm. hospitality. Uh, she is adapting the the playbook for where they are now. And I think that's also metaphorical for Ruth. Did anything stand out to you, Inez Ruth? I, I, or Inez Ruth. <laughs> anything I'll stand out that. to you, Inez? That's my new name. <laughs> I want that name. <laughs> I am Inez Ruth for the rest of this podcast. Okay. Um, what a privilege. <laughs> Thank you, Paul. <laughs> You know, Ruth, I think that before this episode, I kind of felt like maybe inside she was kind of struggling, like kind of felt like maybe Pike was right. Like she wasn't 100 percent on board with whatever Leighton was going on, but she was just doing the role begrudgingly or but like without the negative attitude of it. It's just like I'm doing it because it's like what's right and was loyal to the train, but maybe inside some internal turmoil. I felt like in this episode like you, Paul, I was taking everything she was giving to me at face value because she is a straight shooter like that. So I kind of was using this as an opportunity to reframe my expectations from her about it. Like maybe this time she does really genuinely not care about being the leader and she really is just going to do whatever she needs to do to maintain like a very specific culture and tone on the train that is about like hope and about like community and about like doing what's right for implementing leadership strategy. And so I kind of just took it as that in this specific episode. She didn't have like a ton of really big adventures other than kind of just like being present and maintaining the tone. So I thought it was an important role in terms of like how they delivered this um, train. I was just keeping track of what was happening during each ring tone that I would hear when they come on and do the ring. And I was like, I have to remember, like Ruth created this environment for us. Like she wanted people to feel this environment of like the hope and focusing on new life. And those bells were kind of both ways, didn't they? Right. And those bells were also like this thing is happening on the train, but like you get to watch some kind of turmoil, unseen turmoil that's happening. So in a way, she was implementing the same kinds of rules or um, shows that Wilford was doing to keep people distracted, like with the wedding, with whatever. I don't know if she was doing it as like a distraction kind of thing or if it purely was just trying to inspire a very positive environment for people on the train. I don't really have an opinion either way of it. But uh, I just kind of thought like this is like she is like that wizard behind the curtain of just in influencing what people like see and experience. And that's a really important job. And she's very good at it. It's cool. Like she organized the bells. The bells meant different things to different people at different times, right? They would ring at moments and they would show different characters on screen. And some people were like, yay, the baby. And other people were like, oh, the baby. Oh, the baby. Or, oh, Andre is going to be happy. Or, oh, that's Andre's baby with Zara. Or, you know, with different different things to different people. But where it started, you know, where, where she's trying to do the happy thing with 
the tree and the children and all that. This is who Ruth wants to be when she's living her best life. Yeah. (laughs) I loved how she like introduced this flexibility, this opportunity to be flexible and to read the room and be empowered with Tristan because he's her successor. He's going to be like her right hand person while Zara's like out. And so she really genuinely cared like from a very good place. This is something that was going to make her feel really good. So it helped me also be okay with, you know what? She doesn't want to be the leader. She doesn't want to be the leader. Because last episode, I was like, fuck Layton. I want Ruth to be the leader. I was like all Pike, 100%. But this this one was like, ah, uh, you know, like, okay, Inez, like you can be like Ruth. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Kat? Anything to you stand out about Ruth in this one? Um... Inez summed it up pretty well, but I don't know if she's 100% happy because like she mentions to Pike, oh, it doesn't fit quite as well. And I was like wondering if that was more metaphoric uh, in thinking of like, oh, I don't, you know, after everything she's been through just to just put on this suit and go back to normal when she's not the same person. I wonder if that's what she was, you know, mentioning in like kind of a two-way uh, meaning with that line. I wonder if she'll modify the suit, you know, just, yeah. you know, like yeah. change the jacket or add a something that would be really cool yeah. rip the sleeves off something. dazzle it <laughs> <laughs> um yeah maybe let her hair down instead of like the braid <laughs> really like you know not that well put together but i feel like that's ruth she can't go she can't go too against of who she She's is too but... refined yes 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 um glitter but I... ruth on the back right <laughs> yeah yeah but i don't know i think there wasn't much for her to do in this i think it was just reiterating how far she's come and like seeing that implemented from like everything that's led up to this point in this season so not a lot of like new development but just seeing her in action of like how she's decided to kind of be okay with like Layden's role and how she's so supportive of it and she's just trying to do her best to keep everyone together because we've seen when she wasn't supportive of it what happened in the last season so I think she's like this is her redoing it like again like a new life so um that was just kind of reiterated in, in this um in this sense with Ruth although I'm not sure how good it, it is with like when she was r- introducing the tree and then it burns on fire so like what that says if, if she wants to take that also is like oh like foreshadowing like you know? I mean it was Pike's doing to kind of you know the plot but also like that's not a good first day back she seems like she has a little bit of mixed feelings deep down even if she's not admitting them I have my eye on Ruth if this business about Pike turns out that he is the arsonist which is looking pretty pretty much like the thing where does that put ruth in yeah. terms of she's she's part of the the command structure of the train now and so if a trial needs to happen if or if uh, an investigation needs to happen which it does or what where does that put ruth mm, yeah that's a good one in between you know does she rat him out does she protect him does what happens you know it's it's complicating all right. Well, let's finish up with Andre and Zara. Andre is very busy and distracted. <laughs> and Zara <laughs> is, is also very busy, but not quite as distracted. I'll start with the easy stuff. I was really amused when um, Dr. Pelton comes in to the lab. Isn't it interesting that Dr. Headwood would have a lab (laughs) 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 as a place where you would deliver a baby? I've been privy to a couple of births and I would have been really on on edge had they called those areas a lab. (laughs) Paul, they live in a fucking train. 
I guess you can't be too choosy, <laughs> right? Yeah, I wanted to ask you guys because I found it, Paul. You've I was going to ask you if you were in the room with Caroline, and like, were you exhibiting Andre behavior of being annoyed, <laughs> or were you just being there, whatever you could do? And then, like Inez, what was your you know situation like? Because I have not been through birth or any of it, so I was like, kind of wanted to know your perspective. Because, and then in this high tense situation, like I don't know, it was just it was it was a little bit comedic with like Andre going all over the place, and then. Um, but then at the end, he was really there for her and helped her get through it. So it was like, it was sweet as well. Well, as a dad, you are supposed to be only in receiving mode in that when someone tells you something to do, you do it and you don't ask any other questions. <laughs> well even, done, Paul. Good for you. Not even for clarity, really. Because <laughs> <laughs> if you're doing it wrong, you'll be corrected. Uh, don't worry about that. You have really no role exactly except just to help uh, as best you can. If you're and if to help means you got to just get out, then you do that too. But my own my own role was similar. Uh, <laughs> 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 I'll just I'll just leave it at that. Similar. <laughs> Thankfully, I had a very like straightforward delivery. I was two weeks overdue. So I was ready to get this child out. I didn't care where I was that it was going to happen. If it was going to be in the, in the hospital, if it was going to be in the lab, I don't give a fuck. I was like done being pregnant. So I went in straight for a cesarean section because I was two weeks overdue and having zero contractions. So that was like pretty much it. It was just like me letting my husband know this is what my doctor asked me if do you care about having a natural birth? And I said, absolutely not. Just to get her out and so he said want to come in tomorrow for a cesarean and i was like yeah that's what i'm doing and I, that's what i told my husband i was like okay so she's scheduled for this time so you didn't even make sure that you're back home you know he had to go to the university to take some exams and i was like we just gotta make sure that we're back home by this time because i have to go in and do this and so that was it so he just like fell in line there was no like back and forth and and so it was great so maybe i was because i had a very privileged healthy safe thank goodness um um, with an amazing team and an amazing environment for my delivery. Uh, my first words were Leighton and there was shut the fuck up. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, who gives a fuck if it's three weeks early? Like I, you know, I mean, granted that's the, not being insensitive to people who are like premature. I was born a preemie. All of my siblings were born preemies. I have a lot of trust and belief in modern medicine and science. So to me, when I hear three weeks early, I'm not stressing out nearly as much just like everybody else on this train was um, was doing, you know. Because I'm like, my babies were 17 weeks early, so uh, three weeks is like, yeah, you're fine. exactly, Everything's exactly. Cooked. You're okay, <laughs> exactly. There isn't going to be really like much more beyond that. So I was just eye rolling again. I'm like, oh, I'm not surprised that this is coming from Leighton. This is the same way he handles everything. So that's where I was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And he didn't even like wash, you know, he comes back from an explosion, right? <laughs> and he climbs right in there, didn't even like wash his hands or anything. I know. Oh, oh he's bleeding. God. Right, right. Wow. But that might be why, Paul, like I wouldn't care if I'm delivering in a laboratory. I'm like, whatever, like whatever has like the most accessibility to all the medical stuff that everybody needs. Like that's where I want to be. And let's just like do this. Well, there were a couple complicating factors here. For drama's sake, we had the coldness and, and the temperature issues for the mother, all sorts of red herrings, at least as far as this episode goes in terms of the baby and the mother's health. However, 
we don't know how this is going to play out for the future mm-hmm. of, of both of them. The gene therapy, we think, was just for the baby. I don't pretend to know the biological stuff that goes into, <laughs> does that affect the mother? Does that only affect the baby? I don't know. I assume it's going to affect the baby. But we also had the same business of Icy Josie and her sensitivity issues cropping up in the same episode where they give birth to Icy Baby 2.0. I know each iteration of the icy person is supposed to be uh, better than the last. So fingers crossed <laughs> for baby yeah. Liana. But I think there's going to be some continued um, drama there. I mean, we're not in the clear yet. I know there can be complications after giving for birth. Sure. Yeah. And so I think in this case, it is TBD. I think maybe that's something that we'll see in the next episode. I mean, Zara went, her body temperature went really low and that's not necessarily like the best thing. So like, how does the body recover from that? And then also she's going, she went through birth. So put that on top of those two things. I wonder how her recovery is going to go. So while she's in the clear right now, I mean, it could be something where, I don't know, I think it's still up in the air if like she's safe for sure. Because what are the long-term effects of her body temperature going that low and then giving birth at the same time? Like what are the residual effects with that? And then also the baby, like how is the baby going to go? Because this is new territory. So they don't really know. And then it's not reassuring that the doctor was telling Josie, like, I don't know, like when she was going through her, her own examination, and like, well, am I going to be okay? Like, what's going to happen? And then, you know, the doctor's like, I don't know, you know, because it's very, they're experimenting with this, with, with it, and they don't really know. So it's not necessarily reassuring for the baby, for Josie and for Zara right now. So that's like the TBD and what we see unfold in the next episode and maybe this season with the ice science. I wonder if the way that Dr. Headwood, Ms. Dr. Headwood said that the Mr. Headwood had predicted that uh, a drop in temperature might take place during delivery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder if he might have been experimenting. I don't know. Like well, on... I was going to say like like perhaps the only the only phrase that's coming to mind and it's a bad one is the brains behind this particular experiment, you know? Mm-hmm. Not not diminishing her contributions, more like maybe he covered a certain aspect of the research that, you know, if you're researching something as as a pair, right, then maybe one goes deeper into certain elements and then gives you the cliffs notes so that you can understand it while you go deeper into something else. And that's the way you just kind of keep up. It's like two brains are, are better than one, right? But what if he was the one that knew more about this phase of the experiment? Does that leave... Zara sort of with the the lesser half of the of the two-headed doctor here. I agree. It's totally possible, right? Because we all whenever we like dive into research, we kind of split it based off of our strengths and do our work based off of where our strengths are. And I don't necessarily know like what each of them specialized in. So black magic. <laughs> so you know but but they had to to do this i also think about like agents of shields where you have Fitzsimmons that they have their right. core strengths um but they like talk to each other about it like from end to end and then implement their plan so she could also just be like feeling insecure about holding strong on any of it because it's the first time that she's going through like a major experiment without her other half that's there to give the extra there's nobody there that 
can give her that same equal footing on like making sure that the science and everything is sound. Um, and then she's like bickering with the doctors. Honestly, like if Zara died, I'm so glad that she didn't. I'm so glad that she survived and that the baby survived. And I really hope that that stays on because I, I feel like if she does die, that kind of like gives Leighton a reason to blame her for like her decision as a mom, which we covered in our last episode, like like she was within her rights to do it. So I'm really glad and I hope well, that Andre she really alive. fell in line on that one, didn't he? <laughs> so so I need so I, I want her to, to keep going. It also could be that this doctor is like, well, if things go to shit, like I can save my own like mental wellness by blaming it on my dead husband who's not here anymore who was the brains of it you know it could even like be just like a self-preservation tactic also but when we were first introduced to those two doctors they seemed really in line with each other like finishing each other's sentences like right, yeah. that sort of uh relationship and so your point paul of like saying like oh maybe he was taking part of that and i think they were probably like bouncing ideas off of each other and they just didn't get this far or they didn't have like you know azaro with the baby on the way where they had experimented to like really continue that research and like talk to each other about it so that like they were doing i don't know I, it does make sense that um she was relying on him just as a colleague and a partner to kind of go through work through the science of what they were doing the experimenting together and now she doesn't have that and then like the other doctors obviously doesn't go with um will not be a partner in that regard of like wanting to know what this is going to do because she's against it well she's uh, a like mm -hmm. pelton's a regular physician right mm -hmm. yeah whereas the headwoods are more like researchers researchers yeah and but like you know if there's if those are their only doctors like they could work together but that's not going to happen um or <laughs> we don't know if that was going to happen but um because they came together to deliver this baby safely so it seems like she does sort of need that support from another colleague which was like i guess her husband so and she doesn't have that anymore. So maybe she's also having to readjust because, I mean, it's a lot to have to figure out whatever they're doing, whatever they were working on um, is like new stuff. And like that takes years and like hundreds of researchers to do that. Right. So it's like the fate of the new world and like this science is on her. Like that's just it's, <laughs> it's a lot. It's a big responsibility. Yeah. <laughs> and and the newest baby on the train of a, of a very small population mm -hmm. on a person who's emotionally unavailable. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So yeah. I don't know. It's a big deal. And the idea of Pelton needing to partner with Headwood in the future, I hadn't considered, but that may need to be a reality just to balance out a person who, you know, I can joke about her being emotionally unavailable, but it may just be the way that she's wired, you know, just, mm -hmm. just, it's. it's and not, under Wilford's law, role, you know, where like they had to, like, kind of, they're probably a little bit forced as well. That element exists also yeah mm -hmm. so yeah. in order to balance out the care of the people like Josie and the baby and anyone else that you know may for all we know volunteer for cold therapy you would need <laughs> you would hope that Pelton would would be involved to to give a, a more uh, humanizing element to this thing because if it does work just because they find new Eden maybe who knows and maybe they can live off train. That doesn't mean that it's going to be like the beach. You know, it's probably <laughs> right. still going to be cold. So maybe this therapy yeah. is the path forward, even though it's sort of distasteful for a lot of us to think about treating a baby that doesn't have a choice yet. But it's it may it may actually be the safest way 
off the train. Who knows? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and Pelton's like disdain might be missed misdirected too you know it could just be legacy from like oh well they didn't let me go near them over there because medical doctors are scientists too they go into laboratories they do experiments this is how we accelerate medicine so it's not like the other doctor you know in the laboratory is like just because she's in a laboratory makes her like a completely different kind of like doctor she could also still be a medical doctor i've seen enough gray's anatomy to know that they love winning Catherine fox awards now so you know, that's com- constantly like being in labs, doing experiments, accelerate medicine. So maybe like a lot of bickering that they had. And that's what I was going with earlier, that if Zara passed away, I would have blamed it on the doctors not putting the patient's health first because they were like kind of like bitching back and forth. But thankfully, they made it through. So hopefully we can see that relationship evolve to where they're a little bit more settled, maybe like now that they do get to be together that Pelton getting to just learn what kind of resources are now available to her because I've seen in all the medical shows you know hospitals like asking for budget to bring in more laboratory equipment to do research so now she has access to a laboratory beyond her little clinic and I think that that's an opportunity um, there so I don't see that her anger, you know, being like, we're going to deliver in a lab, you know, like, okay, like, whatever, you're a doctor, like you doctors literally deliver like patients anywhere. So anyway, that's just my little bit from my Grey's Anatomy training for the last 14 years. (laughs) (laughs) Right, She's a PhD in Grey's Anatomy. (laughs) Two PhDs. Um, Well, let's let's finish up here, guys. Um, Looking forward, aside from what you were mentioning earlier, Kat, about the the cool um, detective element of Till and Andre uh, trying to figure out who's behind the the fires and the explosions. What else do you guys see coming? Hmm. Well, now that they've set up that quadruple triangle square thing, um, you know, the romance, there's going to mm. have to be a head with that. And I know Andre's not necessarily can be a little hot-headed and I don't know how he'll react to that. Um, although he has no reason, like he had a baby with another woman. So like he can't really, he doesn't really have like a high, you know, he's not really on high ground. So, right. but there's going to be something with that, obviously. And then I think Wilford figuring out what his role is going to be. I feel like that should hopefully be um, coming in the next episode and, or the next couple of episodes to see, you know, because what are they going to do with him? Is he going to be the villain still? Is he going to be the bad? Like, what is he? What is his role going to be? Um, and so those are kind of the questions I want answered in the next um, few episodes and also i guess pike is is uh is that going to be revealed that it was definitely him or if, is he covering for someone else hmm. what about you Inez? yeah yeah i'd like to this is just the evolution on the 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 detective search on who's behind the explosions and who's after him um i assume that we'll probably see something evolve from ruth and pike related to this particular space and maybe that'll continue on the conversations that we started here about how she's going to feel when she finds out that it was him and i don't know how um, i'm assuming that maybe we're getting close to new eden so maybe we'll start to like get hints about stuff related to that and you know we didn't see um asha in this episode so maybe we'll we'll get a look and see what her influence is going to be with uh wilford kind of coming back and her still kind of having free reign of the train maybe there'll be a moment for them to connect 
That'd be interesting. Yeah, I think as Wilfred recovers, people for various reasons will ally with him again. I don't know what that's going to amount to, but he's constantly been, you know, a source of of conflict for the leadership of the train. And I I think that's going to continue. It'll just kind of take a different form with a different team this time. Is it Alex? Is it Audrey? Is it Asha? Do any of the women in his life not have A names? I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that's on the horizon. Is it one episode away or two or three um, building to maybe a cliffhanger at the, at the end of the season? Who can say just yet? But I like all that stuff of of uh, Wilford rallying people to him in subtle ways. You know, he obviously can't get out of bed. He's strapped down to his wheelchair or whatever. But I think still he will find people that are interested in hearing what he has to say, how he might do things, how he might lead. That being said, if you like this podcast, classed podcast, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Amazon, or we are starting to see some movement on Audible or Spotify or whatever. Um, please give us five stars or the highest rating so other people can find the podcast and join in the conversation. Kat, if people wanted to find you and interact with you, what would be the best way for them to do that? Yeah, you can. They can find me on Twitter and Instagram at things cat loves, and that's cat with a C. She's a C cat, no K cats. <laughs> and if people wanted to find Inez, how would they do that? I can be found ranting on Twitter at Neezy Thinks. Neezy Thinks, and in case this podcast hasn't informed you on this, she has opinions. Lots of opinions. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for joining me again this week, guys. And I'm looking forward to hearing what you guys say about episode six. Yay. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.